This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 137. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. And as always, I'm so glad that you are here with me on this beautiful day to talk about money. I've had a couple of guests in the past on this particular topic, but none that are talking specifically about this. I first heard Amanda on another podcast that I listened to and was so intrigued with what she had created in terms of this particular company that you'll hear her talk about, Worth FM, and kind of Googled her and listened to any other interview that I could find on her and then reached out. And I love this conversation and I really, really love her book. You'll hear us talk about it. The link to her book is in the show notes at yourkickasslife.com forward slash 137. And I'll be honest, I am not an avid reader of financial books. I find it boring and sometimes irrelevant. (laughs) At 41 years old, I have really started to think about my retirement and what that's going to look like and investing. And oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed and just really embarrassed about the fact that I don't know a lot about that. I feel like I'm a smart woman. But it's the one thing I'm just like head in the sand about. And I wanted to have her on because I feel like my story is more common than not in terms of women. And that's precisely what she talks about in this book. And I love that. I mean, there are some money advice people out there and I feel a little bit like there can be a little condescending and and I'm just like, oh, like who wants to learn about this topic if you feel like shit about it? And that's not the way Amanda is at all. She's very, very relatable. I instantly just really felt at ease with her, not only just when I was reading her book, but in speaking with her as well. So I knew I had to have her on. So let me tell you a bit about Amanda. Amanda Steinberg is the founder and CEO of Philadelphia-based Worth FM and Daily Worth. Founded in 2015, Worth FM is a new digital financial advisor for women currently in beta release. Daily Worth, founded in 2009, is the leading digital financial media company for women with over 1 million subscribers to its daily e-newsletter. Prior to founding Daily Worth in 2009, Steinberg was a computer programmer and CEO of Soapbox, a web engineering company serving many of the U.S.'s largest social and cultural institutions. She's a graduate of Columbia University, where she studied urban planning and computer science. So before we jump into the interview, I just wanted to quickly remind you that we have some spots still available for our self-love revolution retreat here in the beautiful town of Asheville, North Carolina. I say here it's two and a half hours away from me. So it's here in North Carolina. And if you heard the quick impromptu podcast episode that I sent out about a week and a half ago, you heard me talk about my own soiree into self-love and that I kind of was like, oh my God, this is 
this is it. This is the foundation to change my life. This is really the basis of all of the work that I do is self-love. So we would love to have you, if you have looked at the info page, it's at the selfloverevolution.com and you're kind of on the fence about it and you're not sure if you are ready to take the plunge, but you are kind of like feeling the pull in that direction. I would love to have a phone chat with you. So there is a way to schedule that on that info page. Page at the selfloverevolution.com. You'll get all the information on there. We can hop on the phone, make sure it's a right fit for you because I want to make sure that it is a decision that you are making that feels good to you. All right. So without further ado, here is Amanda. Hello, Amanda. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Andrea. Thanks for having me. I am. Okay. Well, this is kind of, this isn't the first time we've talked about money over here on the podcast. You know, you're episode 137, and I think I've only specifically had one other person on <laughs> to talk about money, which is probably no surprise to you. We talk about personal development over here, and I think money has a lot to do with bettering yourself and being your best self, you know, as we like to say over here at Your Kick-Ass Life. So I'm so happy to have you on here, and as I was telling people in the intro, your book is probably only the second book I've ever read that's about finance and money that doesn't have anything to do with like manifestation and the kind of more woo-woo stuff that we we see floating around. So I had to have you on because I made it through the entire book without totally freaking out. <laughs> and so I want to kind of jump in from the beginning and just ask you, I love in the beginning of the book, you make a strong argument about how women now in 2017 have more power than ever, but yet the money thing still isn't going as well as it should with women as a whole. So can you tell us what you think the problem is there? Absolutely. And it's what I've been studying for the last eight years since I started Daily Worth, because it's just been utterly fascinating to me. And remember that money is just an object. It's paper, it's coins, it's mm -hmm. digits, it's a made up object. And yet we layer all of this emotion and frustration and guilt and shame around it. So I'm proud of you for getting through the book and for having me here because it's just, it's a heavy issue. But I think it's really important for women to engage with money because money is a key element that enables us to thrive. And yet, because of our historical context and how men have traditionally been responsible for money, especially in the last hundred years or so, that we are afraid to engage with it because we think it makes us less desirable and less feminine. But the reality is, is that we got to get over that because we have an enormous amount of power and influence that we're missing out on because we're not directing the bigger dollars. Yes, I agree. And I think, you know, you say this in the book too. And for me personally, and we'll talk about, you know, the money story and things like that, that we, the things that we've made up about money. I don't, you know, I have a very strong masculine side. I am, I'm an Aries on the Zodiac. Like I am, I am an assertive woman. And I, I don't think that money so much, I don't think I make up a story that money makes me less feminine. For me, it was just, it just kind of that stereotype that I bought into from an early age that it's kind of a man's job. And like, it's painful for me to say that because <laughs> like here I am a modern feminist, but like those old beliefs run deep. And, and I love that you talk about that in the book that this, like you call it a money coma, right? That most of us have spent our lives in money comas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to tell you, it's not your fault. It is a massive social construction that is so enormous and so heavy Despite the best laid feminist plans, you know, our social constructs are, are more powerful 
and you're not alone. And that's what drives me in my work every day is to crack that because it's so ubiquitous, even in the circles that we travel in. Absolutely. So tell us about the whole concept of having a money story, because you say that your life story is also your money stories. Can you say more about that or give an example? Absolutely. So, you know, we develop an identity at a young age and it becomes cemented, especially in our teenage years. And we start to have an identity, a story that we tell ourselves and we forget that it's not true. We think it's what our nature is. We think it's how we're hardwired. But the reality is, is it's really not hardwired. Most of it is socially constructed. I'll give you an example of mine. I always saw myself, I always knew that I was ambitious and I wanted to do really big things. And because I became a computer programmer in college, I started making a lot of money at a very young age. And so I developed an idea that I was a spender because I had so much money in college. And, you know, you don't really need to save money in college. It was a whole new thing for me to have so much income. So pretty quickly, I developed this story that I'm a high earner and I'm a spender. I'm not a saver. But fortunately, I earn so much money that eventually I'm going to earn more than I save, which mm-hmm. makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> but it was the story I made up probably when I was 19. And then it traveled through me until I was 30, making multi six figures and also driving myself into massive debt at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's just to remember that. We have ideas. I'm bad with money. I'm good with money. Money is evil. Capitalism is evil. The stock market is great. Stock market's bad. All these things that we make up at from time to time, we forget that they're not true, that we made them up. Absolutely. So you say in, you know, speaking of, speaking of saving and spending, there's one of my favorite parts of your book is that there's a section. And, and by the way, everyone, if you are already like, I need to get this book, which you should, the link is in the show notes, yourkickasslife.com forward slash 137 for Amanda's book. But there's a section to sort of in the middle to answer questions. I love a good journaling book so you can get to know your own money story better. Cause a lot of these things, you know, if you don't really look at them and shine the light on it, you don't know, you know, they're kind of like these unconscious beliefs that we have. So I, answered them and nothing I've worked on money, my money story before. And so nothing came to a big shock for me, except what was interesting was this. And I I think this might be a common story. So I wanted to share the personal example and kind of have you break it down if you might. But my belief is that spending makes me feel good and there's emotion around it, but saving is boring. Like there's no emotion around it. It is so extremely boring. It's so hard for me to see like and feel how this is going to be when I'm 65 and 70 years old. I find that utterly, utterly fascinating. It's a hard one to explain until you experience it viscerally. But, you know, those feelings that you have are valid. You know, it's that's how it is for you. Spending does give you the spending high Mm -hmm. and saving does feel boring. What I'm working on doing with the book is, you know, at the end of the day, you could continue in that vein and you could spend and not save as much. That's yeah, not working lo- out very well. Okay. <laughs> okay. Just so to clarify. It's not working out very well. I invite you to change the story mm-hmm. that saving money gives me the possibility to spend in the future. You know what yeah. I mean? And that's what that chapter is all about. It's about how to create new possibilities that do inspire you. You can't just become a saver. I mean, I did decide at some point, I was like, forget it. I'm just going to start calling myself a saver. I'm going to make it true. But you can't make things up. You have to make sure that they actually resonate with you. And for me, saving represents freedom and lack of dependency on others. And that to me is like more inspiring than anything. So you have saving unto itself may not be enough. You have to wrap it inside of something and figure out what that is. 
Yeah. And you know what I started doing is when I read your book and I did the exercises and, and we'll get into more of that too, but I decided, cause I love a good challenge and I love a good game. And I decided to, you know, I, I think even, let me back up from that for a second. I think cause some of the listeners might not even be ready to jump into that. And you do talk about this in the book is like, you have to run the numbers. Like you have to pull your head out of your ass and actually look at your numbers. And this was something I didn't do until, you know, what's funny is I got sober in 2011 and uh, kind of, for lack of a better term, started to get my shit together in so many ways. And one of them was this. I, well, I shouldn't say I, I can't take all the credit. My husband and I were almost done pulling ourselves out of $60,000 worth of debt. And I... You know, I think that people file for bankruptcy for less than that. And I just, it, it just wasn't an option for us. So we did it and we're, we're almost done. And it was really about me just sitting down and saying, I have to look at all of this. You know, no one taught me how to do any of that. For me, just, you know, briefly, my story was I grew up in a nuclear family. Like I had a mom and a dad and money, no one ever talked about money at all. They never, my first memory of money. And you ask this in the book too, like, what is your first memory of money? Mine was that, um, there's a couple of them. One was that the, my parents never fought even, even though they got divorced when I was 18, which is for a whole nother podcast. But I remember being very young, probably four or five and them having, it wasn't an argument. It was a heated conversation, which even that was like raised eyebrows. They were talking about their savings account and I was very young and there was a, there was a disagreement. I don't even remember which parent, one of them wanted to, to buy something and the other one did not. I think that that's what was happening. And I just remember hearing the word savings account and hearing the word money and they weren't fighting, but I remember feeling that tension and that shaped me. And, and I remember telling my mom about it years later. She doesn't remember that particular thing, but then also my money story is that it was kind of just always there. No one said anything about credit cards or savings accounts or investing or anything. So I grew up and left the house thinking you just, you know, use a credit card and you just get whatever you want. (laughs) So it's really, you know, for those of you listening who have never have never really looked at everything, it's so important for you to look at where did your spending habits come from? Where did your savings habits come from? And and that's what you talk so well about in this book. But I think, again, it it is like the black and white of running the numbers. Wouldn't you say that's kind of the first step? Yeah. I mean, I think the first step is, first of all, understanding that it's not your fault in terms of how we got here, that there is a, as I said, a ubiquitous situation in our culture, particularly for women, that we are encouraged to be disassociated. Mm -hmm. So if you have a lot of guilt and shame, totally respect that you may be coming to this and it may be a very hard book and this may be a very hard podcast for you to listen to. Uh I just want to really create the space and acknowledge that. And the second thing is just to really understand your drivers so that you understand how your money story has been creating certain patterns in your life, some of which are positive and some of which are negative and then recognizing them for what they are, but not continuing the guilt and shame. And then the way by which that we help you do what we call as money clarity and see really what your numbers are mm-hmm. without yourself wrong or without thinking that you're somehow behind. But yes, that is definitely one part of the process. I love that you normalize the feeling so much because I do think that 
guilt and shame causes more avoidance. I know it did for me. And, you know, I would, I had the Edward Jones financial, and of course it was a man. And I was so embarrassed and just ashamed that I didn't understand what he was talking about. I avoided his phone calls. Like he'd call and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a mean person. He was nice and patient and kind. And, but I was so embarrassed and I'm like, just, you know, husband, you deal with it. And it was a means for me to completely avoid for years. Even though you now see that that was destructive in your life and that maybe it could have been better, there was actually another way in which you were probably empowering your husband or thinking that you were doing better by yourself by not involving yourself in the situation. Absolutely. And that's what the story I told myself until they say in recovery that it works until it doesn't. And I got to a point where it wasn't working anymore. And but yeah, and then there was like that kind of tipping point where I looked at all the numbers and was like, holy shit, we need to make some major changes, which we did. But there was a lot of that guilt and shame and panic. For me, it was panic. It was, oh my God, I need to fix this. And I had to get over that (laughs) or else I wouldn't have taken any action. I had to take a lot of action, a lot of painful action and change things dramatically. It's a big deal, Yeah, which is why I also tried to inject a lot of humor and entertainment and stories into the book because otherwise, ugh, what an exhausting topic. Who wants to do that? Like, blah. Yeah. Lame, lame, lame. But okay. So let's switching gears a little bit. So tell us about net worth and why that's so important. So I think that financial advice in general and the way it's given out through magazines and through financial advisors and banks really does most people a disservice because it really focuses on budgets, plans, and goals as the only way to be successful with your money. The reality is it confuses most people. Only about 30% of people, as we've seen and inside and outside of our company, are successful at categorizing their expenses as a means of controlling their spending. Hmm. So that means that 70% of people aren't, which means that in my mind, it doesn't really work because everybody else feels like they're bad with money and then goes further into their own money comas. So rather than focusing on budgets and goals, which is what most finance books do, I said, you really just need to start with thinking about one number for yourself, and that's your net worth. So why does this matter? It matters because you could be making $200,000 a year, but you could have no equity, which means you have no long-term security. And specifically what I mean, it's a very simple number that you just want to make sure you're aware of, not making yourself wrong if it's negative, plenty of us are in negative net worth zone and that you're starting to think about how you move it in the positive direction or more positive. So specifically your net worth is how much everything you own is worth, like your house, your car, your real estate, your retirement accounts, et cetera. And we're actually, we're going to exclude your business. If you own a business, I'll talk about why we're excluding that at another time. And then subtract from that the balance on your mortgage, your credit card debt, your student loans, et cetera. And it's the number that comes as a result of that. And that is, that's a signifier of whether or not you're in the reasonably healthy zone. A lot of us focus on income and how do I make six figures? How do I make $200,000 a year, $300,000 a year? That is only helpful insofar as it enables you to build roots. Mm -hmm. Roots and wings. You talk about that and how important roots are first. Yes. This is the big paradigm change for women, which is we think we're supposed to budget and then we're supposed to earn. And then if there's anything left over after we've bought all the right stuff to make us look professional Mm -hmm. and successful, that save what's left over. And that is a treadmill that most of us will never get off. So what this book really, the essence of this book is about flipping that and talking about roots and wings, roots being the equity that you grow long-term and the wings are your income and cash 
sources that you use to build your roots and sustain your life. Uh-huh. Really understanding, are you going to own a home? How, what does that mean in terms of building equity? Are you going to have a business that's a services business where you get paid for your time? Or are you going to build a business that actually has equity in it? Are you interested in saving for retirement? Are you interested in the stock market? Or does that even work? What does it even mean to do all of that? And how do you do it simply and inexpensively? And that's, that's the ultimate part. All the money story stuff leading up to that is just so that I can teach those things without people getting freaked out and run away. <laughs> Put the book down and never pick it back up again. Well, oh my gosh. Part, if I started with the roots, we'd probably have, you know, 20% of the people who would read it otherwise. No, the book definitely kept me entertained. And, and one of my favorite parts in it was, and, and I think people can go to a particular URL that you have and where you kind of break down the different money types. Can you tell us about a couple of those, maybe the most common ones? Sure. You know, it's in running Daily Worth for eight years, we sold a lot of advertising to banks and all banks seem to ever say was set goals and create a financial plan. Mm-hmm. And I saw that most people's like eyes would roll back into their heads. And then the people we were selling advertising to would say, women don't care about money. And I would say, it's not that women don't care about money. It's that the way you're packaging it is not motivating. It's not interesting. So I created Money Type with a psychologist in California named Dr. Jennifer Selig. She's an expert in the same modality that Myers-Briggs is based on. So we created our own Myers-Briggs for money. It's our own original system that's academically derived. And when you answer the 40 questions, it gives you your money type. And your money type lets you know what is it about money that is motivating to you and also what are your sabotage patterns. So for me, I'm a visionary means that I I don't even see risk. I take such big risks that I am constantly, my personal finances look like an EKG chart. They go up and down. Yeah, up and that's, I took it too. And that's the way I was. Totally. And so for someone like me, my sabotage pattern is lack of cash and lack of consistency. So, you know, it's funny where we have a platform called Worth FM that allows you to save and invest as well. And when I logged into my own Worth FM, we've integrated it so that your money type, you get advice specifically to your personality. Oh, that's awesome. It actually popped up and said, time to check your taxes. And I was like, oh crap, I do. I owe taxes. You know, it's like there's certain things that because of your personality, you're just going to do because you're not paying attention to them. Whereas earning for visionaries typically isn't nearly as challenging. It's all the, yeah, it's all the important responsible stuff. The visionaries live in the future of a vision that we're looking toward, and everything is motivated by that. Nurturers live in the context of their relationships. You can't encourage a strong nurturer to save. She will not be motivated to put money in a bank account for herself. If you encourage her to save so that she can take care of others and not become a burden to others, that actually will motivate her to save. Oh, that's my sister. Um, mm-hmm. For the epicures, the epicures are very sensory driven. They would so much rather have money being spent on travel than in their bank account. So you have to be able to connect the savings or really encourage the Epicures to live on a much smaller level so it frees up their cash flow because they're really driven by external sensation. Hmm. Okay. And another reason I I love this book, it's just kind of a side note too, is that you... The examples that you give are for people all across the board. It's people that are right now living paycheck to paycheck. It's people that, you know, are making multiple six figures who are spending a lot of money and just all across the board, you know, again, just a little side note there. And another thing that I love, a lot of research went into this book and there are so many statistics, so many of them staggering and 
painful to read about women and money. And I'm going to quote one of them that really, really jumped out at me. So in the book, you say, I'll just say it. For women, the retirement picture looks pretty grim on paper. Only 44% of working women contribute to a retirement savings account, according to the U.S. Department of Labor. Women are almost 30% more likely than men not to have retirement savings. Two-thirds of women say they have no savings or less than $10,000 for retirement, compared with just over half, 52% of men. The gap widens as savings balances get higher, whereas men and women are about as likely to have between $10,000 and $99,000 saved for retirement. Men are twice as likely as women to have saved $200,000 or more. I will be really honest and transparent. That is exactly what it looks like in my marriage. And that was one of the things things that I, you know, my husband forever has had, you know, a corporate job where he's socked a lot of money away in a 401k. And that was another one of those moments where I, where, when we went to get life insurance and like everything was looked at and it was like, you know, it was very much like a, it was more than a womp womp. It was like, holy shit. Look at that. And to see that in black and white in a marriage was devastating. That was another moment where I was like, no, 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 no. This is not going to happen anymore. I wasn't mad at him. It's not his fault. (laughs) So, but I do have a specific question about that. I don't want to focus so much on the why, but let's focus on the women who are listening, who are in those percentages, who don't have a retirement savings. Where do they start? And for the women who do have a retirement savings, what do they need to be doing with it to make sure that they stay on top? First of all, thank you so much for bringing up this horribly uncomfortable subject that no one wants to talk about. I, I am all for talking about the stuff nobody wants to talk about. Me too. <laughs> you saw my holiday card. Yes. I love discomfort and making people Can I post your holiday card in the show notes? Yes, you can. Okay, everybody, go to yourkickasslife.com forward slash 137, and I will say no more, except there's a lot of skin showing. My partner and I do very extravagant holiday cards <laughs> purely for the fun of it every year. And unfortunately, we have to keep upping our game. So, right, God, right. Um, so yeah, so as far as retirement is concerned, first of all, I just want to have everyone take a deep breath, including myself, because the United States economic system, and I'm sure the same is true in many other countries around the world, if you're listening from another country, has really failed to create a, a sustainable long-term retirement platform in this country. And we are not set up to succeed. And it takes a very particular type of brain to have the discipline and desire to start thinking about these things young. And women have been set up to be outside of the money conversation. So there are so many reasons why if you don't think that you're on track for retirement, which 95% of people aren't on track for retirement, the system is broken. Okay, so let's just start there. The second thing is that go back to the part in worth it around net worth as the primary number. There are people I know in Manhattan in particular and cities where real estate is really valuable, where their retirement is the equity that they are building in their houses. I joke that my two kids, you know, as I do this in the book, I give my kids like extra dessert and then I remind them that they're going to take care of mommy when <laughs> oh, <laughs> like every day. And they're like, yes, mom, we know. I'm like, your kids, I swear. So everything about retirement is broken, it's awkward, it's cryptic, and uh, and it's changing because it's not working for most people. So our whole idea of retiring by 65 and having over a million in the bank, if you are someone who is on track for that, power to you. And if not, there's a lot of other happy mediums that we are going to help you not have to work until you die, which is Mm -hmm. basically what it comes down to. 
So in terms of where do you get started, the best place to get started these days I always recommend is an automated investing platform. I run one. It's called worthfm.com. It is an SEC-regulated investment advisory. You can open up a retirement account with us. We also give you a savings account and investment account. Our competitors that we also respect and admire are betterment.com is a great one. Another one aimed towards women, which is more goal-focused, for those of you who are goal-focused, is called Elevest, and the list goes on. But there, once you start to see what these types of companies do, like mine, Worth FM, you'll see that for as little as $50, you can open up a retirement account just so you can see what it is that you're buying and understand how much you're getting charged on these platforms and what they actually do for you, as opposed to hiring a financial advisor, which is a very expensive activity and only makes sense if you find someone you love and you know that they're making a much greater difference in your finances. Okay. Yeah. And another one of the statistics that you cited is that for women, the vast majority of them don't know that they know very little about investing and that's 82 to 90%. And, and I am just now learning about it. And again, it's, it's one of those things that it's so, you know, I, I am college educated. I graduated with a science degree. Like I am, I am an intelligent human being, but when someone starts telling me, especially when a man starts telling me about, <sighs> I feel like, yeah, Yeah. you know. Well, I hope, how did the investing chapter do for you in Worth It? And please be honest. Tell me if it still was over your head. I think that, I think it was easy to understand what I really liked. Let Let me back up. So there was a tool particular, and I forget actually the website, maybe you can remind me, where you go in and it's like a calculator and you type in different things and it tells you how much you should be saving now for retirement based on the year you were born and a few other factors. What was that? That's on smartasset.com. Okay. So all these links are going to be in the show notes, you guys. So that was terrifying. (laughs) It's it's totally horrifying. It was horrifying. I am putting money away for retirement, but not enough. And it was a very different outcome if it was both putting my husband and I together or if it was just individually. So, you know, I know a lot of people listening are either single moms, you know, they don't know if they're going to, you know, retire with somebody and it just, you should never rely on that. And that's, you know, that's a whole other conversation. And that's one of the, you know, it's funny not to back up, not not to sidetrack, but my mom, my mom was married before she married my father and she was married very young and had my older brother and sister. She was very young. And then that marriage fell apart and she got no help. It was one of those stories. She got absolutely no help. And so she understands what it's like to be a single mother of two children and not get any help at all. Luckily, she had seven sisters and they helped her. But her advice to me as a child, she would tell me that story. And she said, don't ever, ever grow up to rely on a man for money. And what did I end up doing? (laughs) Hi, that's my story, too. That's the whole thing. I did this. I I was raised by a single mom, too, who shook me every night. I was like, don't rely on a man. I didn't. I didn't think I was going to be saved by a man. I thought I was going to be saved by my ambition. I just didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) I thought I was going to be saved by a man. And maybe and and because my first husband actually bailed me out of debt one time. And, I, and it wasn't a ton of debt. It was maybe like five or $6,000 in my 20s. And and I told him about it. I was crying. And, and he was, you know, just, he wasn't that upset with me even. He just, but he paid it. And so, I mean, it's, it's things like that where I just always, and after reading your book, that was one of the things that I realized too. It's like, subconsciously, I have been like, and you, you relate it to different Disney princesses too. Maybe it's Sleeping Beauty or something like that. Like I've been expecting, a, and this is so embarrassing to say, but I, it's subconsciously, I've been expecting a man to save me. 
And that is a belief that I have needed to politely escort out. <laughs> it's changed it's, my way of it's thinking. The thing I've, I've learned a lot over the last 10 years when I made my focus money and women. One of the things that I've realized as I've reflected and evaluated is that our social norms are far more powerful than we realize mm -hmm. in shaping our thoughts and identities. Despite the fact that we may quote unquote know better, if our entire culture is acting a certain way, and this is one way in which it's very deeply ingrained, then we, it's very hard to break from that. It is. And I tell my story in hopes to kind of normalize that, you know, here I am, I am this, I feel like I am this strong, empowered woman. And most days I feel like that, but then I do the hard work. And that's what I teach all the time is you have to shine a light on this. You have to go into the deep end of the pool because that's where your behaviors are coming from, from these beliefs that we have. But to go back to your question that you asked me about the investing part of the book is, is that I, I think that you did a great job of making it easy because it can be very complicated. And I think that we make up that it is very complicated, but I like that you have a section in there where it is sort of like the rudimentary guide of saying, like, if you are totally overwhelmed, here's where you start mutual funds or, you know, X, Y, and Z. And definitely there's those links that you mentioned that are going to be in the show notes for people to be able to just start somewhere. It doesn't have to be complicated. Right. And it doesn't have to be complicated. There is a very, very simple way to invest, which is if you go to my company, Worth FM, or you sign up for Betterment, you get a portfolio of what are called exchange-traded funds. And exchange-traded funds are highly diversified, low-cost collections of lots and lots and lots of stocks. And so what you're doing is you're basically investing in the market as a whole. You're not investing in one company over another company. So the point is, is that the economy generally grows over time. Sometimes it goes down and sometimes it goes up. But by investing in these exchange-traded funds, you are spreading your risk out so far that really you're just growing your money with the economy, but you're not going to lose more than the economy loses. So in the long term, you're going to have more money. And that long is term. the best place to start. And then if you want to start getting more creative, just make sure you understand the risks associated. Long term with ETFs, you, I can never say never, but it is highly unlikely that long term with ETFs that you will have less money than you deposited. If you do start to want to buy stocks or do other things, you can't do that on Worth FM because we don't promote it as financially healthy. But you can do that. But there is just as much there's even more chance that you will do more. You won't have as much money as if you just put your money in ETFs and focus on the long term. And that way you don't even have to pick what you're buying. You just have to make sure it's really, really diversified. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's help out there for that. Yes. So everyone go now and buy Amanda's book, Worth It, Your Life, Your Money, Your Terms. All of the links that we talked about are in the show notes, yourkickasslife.com forward slash 137. Amanda, thank you so much for being here and thank you for writing this book. Thank you for being here too. My pleasure. Yay. Okay, everyone. So until next time, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.